I'm saxophonist Keith Loftus, and welcome to the sixth episode of Coffee with Loftus. I'm really excited to sit down with fellow Texan and three-time Grammy-nominated jazz vocalist, the one and only Miss Jasmine Horn. So sit back, relax, grab your coffee or tea, and enjoy. Jasmine Horn. Thank you for joining me for the sixth episode of Coffee with Loftus. Thank you, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. It is my pleasure to have you. So let's um, let's see. How have you been during this pandemic? Well, hopefully slash endemic here. Right. Endemic. Hopefully. Um, I've been doing okay. You know, just working, mm-hmm. playing music, trying to work as much as I can on music. Yep. And in clubs and venues, a lot of places have been shut down and stuff, but I'm optimistic, you know, just continuing to play music and record as much as I can. Great, 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 great. So I want to say just first of all, congrats on all the success. Um, This is your third Grammy nomination? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, for Dear Love, the big band record, which you're on. Thank you very much for being a part of that. (laughs) My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. You know what, let's let's talk about um, your history growing up in Dallas. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, you know, I mean, how, I mean, how did you find the music or how, how did the music find you? Well, I was going to um, DeSoto High School, which is a, you know, regular high school, public high school out in Dallas and in the suburbs. And I really wanted to go to Booker T because there was, I heard there were so many great teachers there mm-hmm. and that you could really be yourself. Um and my brothers and cousins, I had three cousins and, and a brother that went there. And they were like, man, you really need to audition. You need to audition. And my mother wouldn't let me because she said, whatever you do in high school, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So I want you to make up your mind about what it is that you want to do. And I'm like, mama, I want to sing. I've been singing since I was three. Like, I really want to do this. And she wanted me to go and to be a doctor or something else that made a lot of money. And I was like, well, I really want to sing. So... I uh, snuck behind her back about three times <laughs> and went to audition for Booker T and got in Wow! Um, my junior year. I, I didn't get in sophomore year or freshman year, but I got in junior year. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I auditioned, they asked me to sing some jazz pieces. And I didn't know anything about jazz at all. So I sang Summertime, but I sang it like Fantasia, you know? I didn't actually sing it like as it came off of the musical, right? Because I didn't know anything about musicals, standards, nothing. I didn't have any, I came straight from the church, didn't know anything about music um, outside of what I knew from my ears and from my upbringing. And so I sang Summertime and they were like, wow, you have this powerful voice. Is there any way, you know, you can sing us a jazz song? And I was like, isn't that a, isn't that a jazz song, you know? Um, But I got in and one of my teachers uh, who is still very much a mentor and a teacher of mine is Roger Boykin. Absolutely. He said, you know, how can your name be Jasmine Horn and you don't know anything about this music and this legacy and this art form? And he gave me a CD that had Billy, Sarah, Etta Jones, Etta James, little Jimmy Scott, Max Roach, Abby Lincoln, Betty Carter. It had so many different people on there. Mm. And I transcribed the whole CD within like two or three days, brought it back to him and wow. said, can I have some more? And that was like my introduction to jazz. Wow. Who were 
who were some of your other um, influences in Dallas? In Dallas, I would say, oh, vocally. Hmm. No, no, you won't. Vocally and locally, just, you know, across the board. Um, I would say Carla Cook, um, vocally. And then locally, in Dallas, before I even left New York, it was Bradley Lee. Mm -hmm. My cousin. And Shelly Carroll. Mm-hmm. Those were the two that, that were like, Jasmine. That's right. <laughs> you got to get to New York. And I, I was like, no, I don't think so at the time. And they were like, no, but you really got to get to Kumar Fowler. That's, yep. All the cats, Braylon yep. Lacey, wow. uh, Sput, all the cats. They were just like, you got to get to New York. And I, I wasn't trying to. I was like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And um, so I started going out to listen to like the Funky Knuckles and um, what's the band that um, Mike Lee runs? What is the name of his band? Um, I can't think of Mike Lee's band at the moment, but I started going out to hear those guys. Mm-hmm. Wow. Brad Lee and Shelly Carroll. I mean, those were my two, two guys growing up. I mean, we hung <laughs> tight. And, you know, I've learned so much from both of them, but uh, especially Shelly, you know, him being a tenor player, you know, I, I used to transcribe all his solos. And, yep, me too. Um, wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Texas spinners, wow. man. That's right. Yep. That's right. Wow. So how how was um the transition for you moving from Dallas to New York? At first, I loved it because there was so much to discover, so much. It was a complete cultural shock. You know, I felt like growing up in the church, I really didn't know much about African-American heritage and other um, Black heritages around the world, like Mm -hmm. Haitian culture and Creole culture and, you know, uh, Jamaican culture. I didn't know a lot about other Black cultures. And when I got to New York, it was everywhere. The Muslims, the Rastafarians, the Condomble, the Ifa, I mean, everybody was everywhere. And so it was so much that I was very much overwhelmed, but in a good way, in a positive Mm -hmm. way. And then you talk about the music scene. It was incredible for me seeing, you know, how like when you go to Dallas, if you're in, you're, you're from Dallas. So you understand Mm -hmm. the the Baptist churches and the McDonald's, you see one on every corner in every neighborhood. And actually you may see multiple in one neighborhood. So when I moved to New York, that was what it was like going hopping around in these jazz clubs. You got Smalls here, Fat Cat there, Mesro's here. You know, it was like you could go anywhere and see anybody playing at any time. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to Fat Cat, Roy was there. And I was I was like losing my mind, you know, <laughs> seeing Roy Hargrove. Because I, I never really got to see him in Dallas. Right. He wasn't home. And then seeing him coming to New York and seeing him the first week that I got here, that was amazing. Yeah. meeting Lafayette Harris and Winard Harper and Ron Carter and all these different people at jam sessions and stuff. That was amazing to actually have that experience of meeting all the people that you've listened to for a while and then actually have an opportunity to either play with them or sit right in front of them and play with them. I was 17 years old. Wow. So that was a lot for me. Yeah. I had a really good time. I loved it. But wow. after a while, I kind of got over it. I, I was like, okay, it's, it's, this is crazy. This is rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, I'm not sure if you remember this, but uh, the first time we met, we were doing a rehearsal with um, Jerome Jennings. Mm. And you asked me, you, you said, hey, Keith, where are you from? 
And I said, I'm from Dallas. She was like, you were like, really? I was like, yeah. <laughs> you said, uh, where? I said, Oak Cliff. She was like, what? And I was like, and then you said, you know, what high school did you go? I said, Booker T. She was like, get out of here. And then, um, yeah, then, you know, you, and then I found out you went to the new school and I went to new school. I was like, wow. So our journeys kind of collided together. Collided, yeah. Yeah. Times. yeah. 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 It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about um, this new record. Okay. You know, Dear Love. So um, I know you were, are you still in Concord? No, 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 no. Okay. So yeah, I definitely wanted to 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 talk about this. Um, that that you know that transition from being on a label to creating and owning your own label and that that process. Okay. Uh, well, I'll say in 2015, I won the Thelonious Monk International Vocal Competition, which is now Herbie Hancock Competition, right? Um, and at the time, they kind of they kind of forced you to sign a contract you know, in the case that you win. So they gave the all of the winners, there was 11 of us, all of the competitors, sorry, not winners, but all of the competitors, one standard contract. And I didn't like the fact that the contract said uh, we own all the rights to the music in perpetuity because in my mind, if I had won the competition, I wanted to own the, my own rights to my music and to my compositions. So I was like, uh... I don't know about this contract. That was one clause in there, just as an example that mm-hmm. I really didn't like. And I didn't have the means or the funds or the resources to have access to a lawyer at the time. So I was kind of contemplating like, wow, I don't know if I want to sign this contract. And they were kind of like, well, if you don't participate in, you know, if you don't sign this contract, then you won't be able to participate in this competition. Wow. So I just want to say that off the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, I have to go back to the drawing board because I didn't want to record standards for my first record, but I went back to the drawing board. I said, okay, cool. So I'm going to record standards for my first record in the case that I win this competition Mm. and we'll just, I'll just sign it. And even though it's not my original compositions, they will be in my arrangements. And what I decided to record was music that I was already playing on the road. The stuff that I had already written arrangements to, um, which would be easier for me because the, cat, the cats already know the music. There's not mm-hmm. too much rehearsals that we have to do. And so after I won the competition, they started calling me and contacting me A&R at Concords about um, recording, which musicians I wanted to record with, all these different things. And so I decided, you know what? This might be a good opportunity for me because eventually I will own my own record company. I don't know to what capacity. But if I just, if I'm in there in everybody's business, then I can figure out how to run my own. So I started calling up people. Hey, what's your name? Okay, what do you do? Okay, great. Nice nice to meet you. Let me know if you need anything. And that way I was building a rapport and a relationship with everybody who was working on my project. The next year came around and I did have a lawyer and I had an opportunity to get my contract changed and, you know, change some stipulations. And um, everything worked out great. And they were excited because my first record, A Social Call, was nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. So when I told them I have some original compositions, they were kind of like iffy about it. But because I'm already Grammy nominated, they were like, OK, we're going to see what this is like. We'll, we'll trust it. Um, and so they trusted it and everything went well. And not only did I get a Grammy nomination, but NAACP 
NPR, Jazz Japan, Ellen Thruso, like so many different awards came from the second record. And I was excited about that. So I said, okay, standards worked first because people are getting to know my sound. They'll mm-hmm. hear that I'm a straight ahead jazz singer, not necessarily as contemporary as some of you know the other singers that are out there right now. And then the second record, I'll show them what I really want to do. And then the third record, I'll build it up and build it up more. So at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, probably um, April or May, you know, I, I started reaching out to Concord and I said, hey, you know, when we first signed this agreement after I won the competition, I, um, I was supposed to have three terms. And I said, I'm really ready to record. You know, we record every other year. So we didn't record 15. We recorded 16 and released 17. Mm-hmm. Recorded, you know, we recorded and released opposite years. So I said, it's time for me to record so that I can release next year. And they said, well, right now, everything is crazy. We'll get back to you. So I, I waited a couple of months. Um, I wrote some music. Um, wrote some some original compositions. And then I started writing big band music because... I had said to myself, a lot of these different artists that come out, um, they wait until they're in their 40s and 50s to record big band music. And that wasn't something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I didn't want my age to dictate what it is that I can do with my artistry. So I decided um, to give them an, another chance and say, hey guys, you know, this is the big band music, here's what it kind of sounds like. You know, can we move forward with this? And they kept saying, well, we don't have a budget. So I spoke with my lawyer. I say, really, honestly and truly, I can't stay with Concord if they're not going to invest in what it is that I have as ideas for where I want my artistry to go. And, you know, my lawyer said, "Okay, well, let's see what we can do. Concord was like, bye. We don't have a budget anyway. Bye. (laughs) So I was like, "Okay." I was freaking out because I was like, man, I don't have a label. You know, but I was like, okay, it's going to work. I'm going to trust God. It's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Then I went to so many different other labels. I don't have to necessarily say their names, but right, um, right, a lot right. of them. Mm-hmm. And most of them in jazz. I mean, every jazz label you can think of, I, I'm pretty sure I went to. Right. They all said the same thing. We don't have a budget. We don't have a budget. I said, okay, what am I going to do? I didn't set up many of nights from three, six in the morning, writing these big band charts with my whole blood, sweat, and tears are in this music. Yep. <laughs> so... Yeah. What can I do? Um, And so I said, well, you know what? Let me just back up a little bit and just meditate on this and really just take the time to pray about this situation. And so there were so many students that were coming to me from different places saying, hey, you know, I want to study with you privately. And so in my private lessons, there were certain things that they would ask me that they didn't know necessarily know anything about, like stage presence or improvisation or creating your own business. And I was like, wow, everybody is asking me the same questions. So I decided to write a book about those things. Mm-hmm. Once I released the book, which was in August. So, right. I went to the label in April, May. Didn't happen. June, July, August. Released the book in August. And... um for the first week that the book was released, I would say about 50 to 100 people reached out to me and said, I just read your book. I want to study privately with you. And I said, this is too many people. Two weeks later, it was about two, 300. Wow. And it, the numbers just kept piling up. Instagram, Facebook, people just, hey, hey, can you give a lesson? Can you give a lesson? Wow. I started doing free seminars, like just seeing how many people would show up to a seminar. 
Zoom gives me 500. Every seminar I did had 500 people in that joint. I did from August, September, and October, three for three months, every Saturday, or maybe it was Sunday. Every Sunday, I did a free seminar, and each weekend, it was packed 500. I could not, people were pissed because their internet would go out, and they would click out, and somebody (laughs) else would join in. And, you know, and it was weird because I had to do them at many different times. You had people in Japan, mm-hmm. people in Australia, people in Germany, and the time frames were different. So I would do one super early in the morning, like at seven, and then do one super late at night at like eight or nine so that everybody had an opportunity to come. And it was crazy. So I said, OK, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start my own online school with all these people that keep coming into these free seminars, right? Mm -hmm. I'm giving something free. They know what it's going to be about because I'm giving them basically what the seminar is about. And um, so the way I did it was I started the course and I said, if you take the course, you get the book. And people already had had the book. So they were excited about taking the course and having the book or never even hearing about the book, never hearing about the course, getting the book so that they could take the course. And that's how I funded Dear Love, right? So instead of me waiting for a label to say, well, we got the budget, come on. I was like, Excellent. the music is already done. Excellent. So let me just go ahead and do it on my own. So that's basically how I started my own label. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that That is powerful. And that is a blessing to just use your creativity to, you. You know, to create, you know, and wow. Speaking of... Um, you mentioned your voice and um, I want to ask you um, finding your voice. When did you, when did you find your voice? You, you know, your internal, like when you knew like, this is, this is my sound. Uh, okay. Sound. Um, I would say like probably before I won the Thelonious Monk competition, because after like when I graduated from the new school, that was in 2013. And that same year I had won the Saravon competition and so many people like just mentors and just people who were just interested in my music or interested in supporting me. They would say, listen, you know, I think what you're doing with your voice is really cool, but it's not unique. Like you sound like Sarah Vaughn. You won the Sarah Vaughn competition. We don't really want to hear you sing Sarah Vaughn. She already existed. We want to hear you sing something else. And Sarah Vaughn meant so much to me because she was the beginning of me expressing my sassiness or my certain abilities that I have in my personality through my voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I couldn't do that before because I grew up in church and it was very strict. It was a very specific way of singing. But then being able to open up and sing like sassy and transcribing a lot of her solos and even just her phrasing, it gave me mobility. I felt like I I was free to express myself in different ways. And also she has a very, um, a low timbre about her voice at certain times. And I felt like I couldn't utilize that, you know, in gospel music or R&B music. Um, And so then hearing jazz and then participating in jazz and then really like, um, embellishing on that and really bringing that out of me is what Sarah really helps me to do. So then I stopped listening to Sarah for a long time because I was like, man, I felt I was overwhelmed with that thought of you have to step out and actually create your own sound. You can't keep sounding like one person. So then I started listening to Dinah Washington even more. Um, 
who else was I listening to? Uh, Carmen McRae and Terry Thornton and just other singers, Shirley Horn. And it wasn't until I heard Abby Lincoln and Betty Carter that I just completely just owned my own. Cause I was like, oh, I see what's happening. You can still live in your own voice and tell the story in many different embellishments and different timbres and different tones and different qualities. It doesn't have to sound so polished and poised and, and in this one specific way. So mm-hmm. listening to other singers really helped me to open up like Rochelle Farrell. That's like my, that's like my uh, bread and butter. Uh, right, right. <laughs> that's like my bread and butter right there. You know, that's the two, that's the standard two, five, one for me, Rochelle Farrell, <laughs> you know? So listening to Rochelle, listening to Betty, listening to Abby, listening to Sarah, I'm like, okay, I have enough to go with to where I can step out and kind of like, you know, see. So I would go to jam sessions and practice that. I would practice not sounding like anybody. And then that's when people started calling me. Bernard Harper, um, Bernard Lynette, Lafayette Harris. um, What's his name? Uh, Bill Saxton, (laughs) who... Bill Saxton doesn't like singers. He doesn't (laughs) like singers at all. He will tell you every time he calls me, he's like, hey, I got this gig, you know, you know, I don't like singers. I don't like singers, but I know you can play. I want to hear you blow. So I I started playing with the cats. This was so exciting for me because (laughs) I, I found my voice and people were like, yeah, that's it. And I, it was just like, okay, cool. I'm a musician now. And, And that's how I gained the respect. Like, people really understood, okay, she's learning these changes. She's not just up here trying to dooby dooby da be die You know, she's got her own sound now. I can call her for a gig. And that was like, woo! I, I was working at Applebee's. I was working full-time at Applebee's while I was at school. So wow. when I left school, like the year before I left school, I said, God, please, I'm just stepping out on faith because I can't do this Applebee's gig anymore. I really just want to play music. You brought me here from Dallas to play music. So put that show will be done. Put these gigs in front of me. I can't do this Applebee's thing no more. And it, it happened. Everybody was calling. And I Beautiful. was like, OK, cool. So that prepared me. You know, that helps me to be able to, you know, win the, the month competition and do other things. Because mm-hmm. when I walked in there, for me, it was just like a gig. I wasn't like, oh, I got to win this competition. It was like, no, I got to pay my bills, got to pay my rent. And I need this gig. This is a gig. We just going to play like it like it is. And, you know, just I just let the most high lead. It, it just really worked out. For Absolutely. Me. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm blessed. To, yeah, I hear you. I mean, coming from Dallas and just being able to stay here and and still be here. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. truly blessing. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. So how does Jasmia relax? How do I relax? Um, when do you run, play tennis or? No, I like to roller skate. Ah, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm really good at skating and I just, I really love it. So what I'll do is just drop the girls off and put my headphones on, get that 70s vibe going and just (laughs) all the way down the Bronx River Parkway, all the way up and all the way back. Just Wow. mm -hmm. That's cool. Even in the winter, even when it's, when it's cold, because you can put on so many layers and still be out there and fresh air. It's just, yeah, I really like to do that. Wow. 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 Yeah. Man. Well, it's it's um 
it's been a pleasure. Um, and I just want to say once again, I mean, I'm, I'm truly proud of you. Um, Thank see, you. You know, all the great things you're doing and getting ready to do. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you can bring this Grammy. Yes, come through. Grammy on home. You know, we are in that they Grammy They say the season. third time is the charm. We going to yep. count on that. We right. going to count on that for right. real. You know what? Do you have any advice for um, the up and coming next generation? Um, yeah, sure. I would say don't stop practicing. Don't stop listening. Listening is a big part of being a musician. Um, I would say, you know, people don't know who you are. You have to really show them mm-hmm. and you have to know and be comfortable in who you are to be able to be comfortable with showing them. Um, and so, you know, when someone says to you, well, I don't think that that's a good idea. If you know in your heart, mind, and soul that it is, for example, Concourse said, I, you know, we don't have a budget. The big band album, it just may not work for you. You can't, you can't trust nobody but the most high. You can't yeah. trust people because they don't know what the path is that the most high has for you. The scripture says your gift will make room for you and bring you amongst great men. And that's exactly what my gift is done. Absolutely. As Yah is my witness, right? So you really have to just trust in yourself, keep your faith in your Elohim. And then whatever happens outside of that, you have no control over it and don't try to control it. But as long as you keep practicing, working on your musicianship, working on your craft, taking yourself seriously, things that you want to happen will manifest. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Jasmine Horn, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Um, Hopefully um, I'll see you soon. Yes. Um, Are you going to come to the Grammys? You know what? I'm I, I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, I can get out there. Um, yeah, that would be fun. That would be a blast. That would yeah. be a blast. Even if not, we're we're going to have a celebration. You know, we're just going to celebrate. Great. You know, Great. under Let's my label, I'm going to throw a record label record label party, and just we're going to have a good time. Let's do it. <laughs> it sounds it sounds good. Yes. That's, Jasmine Horn, thank you so much for joining thank me. You. Be good now. All right, take care. Already. Bye-bye.